So um, I'm going to be talking today about mindfulness um, and adaptions for people with learning disabilities. And as Andy said, um, my original PhD um, back in, which I finished uh, 11 years ago, so in 2010, was about um, people with learning disabilities, uh, specifically parents of children with rare genetic syndromes. So, and then I got into mindfulness, as so many of us do, or many of us here has, um, and trained to be a teacher, and then started to think, well, how can we, or could we adapt uh, mindfulness for people with, with learning disabilities? So that's what I'm talking uh, about today. So that was just a reminder for me to ask you who was here today, so I've already done that. So in this workshop, um, I'll be exploring um, three main things. So one of the things, um, I'll be talking about is uh, some good practice guidelines that um, I developed along with some colleagues um, about, you know, where we got together and we really thought about, well, actually, how would we adapt this? How would we adapt mindfulness-based programmes for people with a learning disability? With particular attention to the values that underpin that. So it's a very value-focused um, um, document. Um, and also, um, I'll be talking about something called the Souls of the Feet Meditation. So this was developed by Nerve Singh, who um, is uh, in America, and he also is the editor of the journal Mindfulness. Um, so he developed a particular meditation called Souls of the Feet Meditation for people with um, learning disabilities to help um, with kind of anger and aggressive behaviour. Um, and then that was expanded to look at, to, to work with anxiety and various things, but we'd be looking at that and I'll be also leading a practice on that. So you really get a sense of what that is and how it works. Um, and then I'll be talking a tiny bit about research, but I promise you it'll be interesting. It's a qualitative research, which is which um, means that we go out and interview people. So we interviewed uh, people with learning disabilities and their carers um, who had experienced a soles of the feet meditation to say, what did you think about this practice? And we learned a lot from that. So I'll be um, kind of dipping into a tiny bit of research um, at the end there as well. So just to kind of clarify the terms of references that I'm using. So learning disability means different things in different countries. Um, so just to clarify, when I say learning disability here, um, what I'm talking about is um, referring to people who have an IQ of less than 70. So that's in, in the UK, at least that's that is the definition of a, of a learning disability. Um, and also just to just to caveat everything I'm saying with the fact that most research that's been done has been with adults with um, mild to moderate levels of learning disability. Um, so um, everything that's been done, as far as I'm aware, has been um, looked at with adults um, with a mild to moderate learning disability. So the good practice guidelines that I'll be sharing with you um, were developed with that population in mind just because we don't know enough about um, the impact of a mindfulness program uh, with adults who might have severe or profound learning disabilities. Um, and to my knowledge, nothing's been done yet with children with learning disabilities and mindfulness. So just to kind of caveat, it's quite early days really in, in, in this kind of um, research area of mindfulness and learning disabilities. And also, even though there's quite a lot of interest, there's pocket of interest, certainly in the UK and I know in, in certainly in America, as far as I'm aware, um, there's no specific mindfulness training available about how you might 
train or teach mindfulness to people with learning disabilities. So we kind of noticed a gap and thought, okay, we've got enough knowledge between our uh, research team and, and um, yeah, kind of cl clinical psychologists who are involved to think, okay, what might we offer as a kind of starting point for, for guidelines? So that's what I'll be talking about today. Um, and just to say that the guidelines cover both individual, so one-to-one -one, uh, mindfulness sessions and also group mindfulness-based programmes. And the idea is it's not, we're not talking about a one-off session um, because um, people with learning disabilities in, in particular might need a lot of repetition to kind of really get and understand those core concepts. Um, so I'm talking about things that are offered over a series of, of weekly sessions so you kind of work with people longer term. So I just want to say who were they written by? So this is the team of people. Um, and I just particularly want to point out, so Pat here, oh, I don't really see it. So Pat and Susie. So they were experts by experience. So they were people with learning disabilities who were on our team as part of creating these guidelines. Um, and then uh, just want to give a shout out to Richard Hastings, who was my PhD supervisor at Bangor years and years ago. So he was involved too. And uh, Steve Noon, who some of you might know, actually, he's um, done a lot of work in, in the North with people with learning disabilities and mindfulness and um, was very, very experienced about this. He's kind of gone out and, and done this, this really lovely work um, with, with people. So one of the things we, we kind of thought about was, um, well, who can teach or who should be able to teach uh, mindfulness-based programs to people with learning disabilities. And one of the things that sometimes can happen, we wondered, was that because um, you're teaching people with learning disabilities, people might think, oh, you don't need as much experience or practice or knowledge because what you're teaching is, is a kind of a, a simplified or easy to understand version of, of mindfulness. But we um, we, we kind of think actually people who teach mindfulness to people with learning disabilities need to be as skilled, if not more so, uh, than people that teach general populations. So um, we thought that was really, really important to say, so you don't get anyone kind of picking up a manual and thinking that they can kind of just go off and um, kind of teach. It's actually a very skilled thing. It's really hard to um, distill things in a very simple way. Well, I find that anyway. And so this was, um, this was uh, kind of made with that in mind. Some of you might know um, the BAMBA Good Practice Guidelines. So one of the things we thought that anyone who's teaching uh, someone with a learning disability needs to have as much training um, to meet those uh, good practice guidelines, which is, uh, for those that don't know, BAMBA is the um, British Association for Mindfulness-Based Approaches. And what they do is they offer good practice guidelines to um, all mindfulness teachers. And so one of the things we thought is, if you're teaching people with a learning disability, you also need to meet those, those kind of training standards as well. So I have a very specific uh, mindfulness teacher training. Also already have experience of working directly with people with learning disabilities um, and either a professional qualification um, in a relevant field or um, equivalent life experience. So you kind of really know and understand um, this kind of working with people in with this population. And also have person-centered values. Um, so one of the things I was going to ask you, um, and I'll just stop sharing my screen, but this question of what values should underpin any adaptations for people with a learning disability, do you think? So I'm going to invite you to pop that in the chat. 
Um, I'll just stop sharing my screen. So what values do you think should underpin any adaptations for people with a learning disability? So I'll just wait a few moments for any chats to come in. Respect for all people. Patience, yeah, compassion. Lots of patiences, yes, that's the word. Kindness, empathy, adequate time and space for processing, yes. Person-centered, brilliant, understanding, no agenda, lovely. Oh, hi, Christine, I didn't realize you were here. <laughs> Uh, empathy, accessible language, vulnerability, integrity, clear goals. Yeah, so we can see all those, those floating in, lovely. Process-minded rather than goal-orientated. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you, Teresa. Warm heart, womb, thank you. Oh yes, respect, go at their pace, not yours. That's from Jan, yeah, wonderful. Trust in possibilities, open mind, lovely, yeah. Um, thank you, thank you for that. So I'll just share my screen again. So we'll see if what we came up with is similar to what you came up with. Um, so this is what we came up with. Um, so the main principle that underpinned everything um, is make sessions person-centred, and I noticed someone said that, um, and tailored to the person or group that you're working with. Um, and particularly the, the experts by experience who are on our panel emphasise this over and over and over again, that you can't assume things, you just have to be very person-centred and be with the person who is in the room and, and you know, do what you need to do to facilitate their, their process. So, Examples of this that we came up with were things like um, using really clear, straightforward and unambiguous language is really key for communication. Communicate at a pace that's comfortable for that person. Uh, making adjustment to accommodate any sensory impairments or phys and physical abilities that, that, that may, may be present. Um, explaining the content and purpose of each session and then summarising that at the end. Um, and really using concrete examples, if you can, uh, visual imagery, uh, practical demonstrations and role play to explain um, concepts. And um, I remember Steve Noon, who um, probably isn't here, but um, he, he was part of this and he tried, um, or, um, he tried to use a metaphor of uh, using sushi that was coming along on a, on a conveyor belt in a restaurant. And then he tried that and realised no one quite knew what, what he was talking about. So he kind of had to adapt and then and kind of go back to, you know, leaves floating on the stream or something, noticing thoughts as they kind of go by um, when he was talking about diffusion. So um, it's, it's trial and error um, with this work. But yeah, so using really, really thinking about well, how can I concretise this, this, um, this idea or this, this, this concept of mindfulness and regularly check in with the person's understanding. So um, in terms of adapting things before the mindfulness-based programme starts, um, some key works need, needs to be done. And as I go through this, it might become really clear um, about why you need, to, why we think people need to be as skilled or even more skilled than um, if you're teaching um, general public populations. So one of the things is, uh, 
really making sure that you have initial one-to-one -one meetings with someone, um, checking for any physical or mental health needs. So it could be that if someone's hearing impaired, they need to sit near a teacher, um, needs to be wheelchair accessible. Um, if people are have anxiety, they might want to um, sit where they can see the door, for example. So kind of asking people, what, what do you need in the room to make you make you comfortable? Um, and checking see a, a bit like um, like we do with any mindfulness course, you kind of check in to see, you know, has there been a recent very difficult um, situation like a, a bereavement or, um, you know, some sort of mental mental health issue that would stop you engaging with the course or that would make it very difficult for you to engage or benefit from the course. So checking to see it's the right time um, and also using very clear language and maybe visual timetables and clarity about what the mindfulness-based program is actually for. And this will become really important when I start talking about research um, at that point. One of the things also is um, support. So um, often people with learning disabilities, if they're, um, they, they may have a support worker or may have a family member that they, they want to come along to the sessions. Um, and so one of the things we found from our research actually is that, um, so one of the things we assumed was that if a, if a support worker comes to the sessions themselves, they will be able to learn from that and then take that to be able to support the, the person at home. And we found that didn't always happen. Um, support workers or family members, it seems need um, an extra session or so with the teacher so they know what they can do to support the person with learning disabilities. So um, we did in our research naively assume that people would pick, just pick that up naturally as a support worker, didn't always happen. Um, so that was a that was a real take home message for us from that. So, um, so that's a kind of key thing. So you might not just have people with um, learning disabilities in the room, but also um, various kind of support workers and things. And in running a group course, um, really consider who's coming and how they might function as, as a group. Come on, computer. There we go. Okay. Um, so an important principle um, is that people need to feel comfortable enough to be able to share what they're really thinking. Um, there's some research that suggests that people with learning disabilities might be prone to agree or acquiesce with the teacher or the leader or the person in the room or authority figures um, might just say yes or go along with something. So it's really important that you know any answer is accepted, any answer is okay, um, and to really be with and to, to kind of use language to encourage this. Um, and also being really uh, careful to use open-ended and specific questions. So for example, if you say, did you feel relaxed during that practice after they've just had a practice? It might give the message that you're supposed to feel relaxed. And um, so we need to kind of look at that um, with it. So um, another question might be, you know, what did you notice when we focused on the breath? or what did you notice when your belly went up and down or you know whatever it is that's um, the language that you've decided to use for that person might allow people just to say what actually arose for them and really accepting that don't know is also an answer that's perfectly okay to give uh, with, with people and things like did you listen to the CD this week rather than did you do the mindfulness practice this week so you're kind of concretizing everything you're asking the same questions but you're just really making sure that it's just very clear what what you're kind of asking asking about 
So during the mindfulness-based program then, so when you've got folks in the room, um, accessible communication is really, really key. Um, keeping abstract concepts to a minimum. So you're not talking about, you know, noticing the inhale and the exhale and, you know, the breath and wakefulness. You're not talking about those kind of languages, but you might say noticing how your belly goes up and down when you breathe. So really, really um, very concrete things like that. Um, some people have used um, like a bean bag, for example, if, if people have um, trouble kind of kind of getting in contact with the breath or with the body and um, people have used stickers um, by putting like stickers on various parts of the body to show them where where their feet are where their knees are um, or kind of a, a, um, a kind of bean bag on the belly so noticing the bean bag go up and down with the breath so lots of kind of practical things come in come in there and um, as um, you know it's 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 more process orientated as well so being prepared to really repeat core concepts through throughout the sessions um, and having to build that in um, and also written information um, in easy read format with pictures is key um, so things like schedules and um, I think Steve Noon when he was teaching talked about how they used to draw at the end of the session what they'd learned that day so they had a big piece of paper everyone got around it you know doodled on it what have we learned today and then stuck that on the wall in the room so whenever anyone came in and then they could revisit what did we do in week one what did we do in week two what did we do in week three um and so you're kind of building up this this kind of concrete picture of where where they've come from what they did that session so there's there's consolidation um kind of built into the session and physical prompts and exercises are really key. Um, so the body map exercise, which um, isn't, you don't really need to do a huge amount of adaptions from what uh, we sometimes do in MBSR, where you draw an outline of a body and say, where do you feel uh, stress? Or where do you feel anger? Um, likewise with, um, you know, the breath or the toes, um, instead of keeping still, you might ask people to move their shoulders and then feel the shoulders or move the feet and then feel the feet. Um, props such as a snow globe. So um, snow globes are used um, with this idea of, you know, when the mind is busy or the snows everywhere, you have lots of thoughts. There's nothing you can really do about it. It's just there. Um, but eventually, if you watch them, it will settle down. So there's lots of creative ideas out there about props and things that people use. And a bit like um, anything, and um, increasingly so with trauma-informed mindfulness, always giving choices. So you can have your eyes open or closed. You can do the breath or the feet. So um, you're always giving choices and, and uh, um, to, to people. And a key thing, uh, it might take a while, but making sure that people know um, for home practices that they've got access to a CD player or they know how to download stuff onto their phone and access it. So it's all these practical things that you um, might assume just happens. Um, it might take a, take a while to go through to say, yeah, this is how you access things and actually showing people how, how to do that and how to access them um, at home. So that's, that's the key thing too. So just talking about, well, what's actually available for, uh, if you wanted to go and teach, what's actually available? Um, basically not very much is the answer. This is what we know to be available currently. So for one-to-one -one mindfulness based programs is um, it's the it's um, a manual that came out about 10 years ago by Singh, um, Nerve Singh. Um, 
the meditation on the soles of the feet. And this is uh, specifically at the time, it's, it's for anger management. So that's that. I'll be talking about soles of the feet next. Um, and for group-based mindfulness programs, although we know people have done this, um, there isn't anything that's publicly available for people to pick up to support the delivery. Um, so I know there are manuals, I know they exist around the country because I know people that have taught them, um, but I don't think there's anything that's commonly available uh, for people to pick up on. So the, the, the guidelines then are, are kind of real starting points rather than an end point. Um, hopefully these things will kind of gather momentum and, and kind of um, build, but um, yeah, I think that's a real gap actually, not having some sort of curricula that, that people can pick up and, and, and use. Okay, so just kind of changing around to the next thing that we're going to be looking at. Um, so a bit of research um, on soles of the feet meditation practice. So uh, this was developed, um, well, first published in 2003. So this research has been going on for 20 years, which is quite incredible. Um, so the first research study to look at using mindfulness with people with learning disabilities um, use this practice called soles of the feet practice. It's one of the most researched approaches um, using mindfulness with people with learning disabilities. And it was first used to help people with anger and challenging behavior, so aggressive behavior. Um, so the soles of the feet practice helps people to recognize and be with their anger and then to direct their attention to the soles of the feet. So just to put this in context, so um, uh, so I think in one of these early papers, actually, um, Nerve Singh described, I think there were single case designs, there weren't very many people in them, um, described one person as, as, as um, going through this. So this, this person with learning disabilities in America was in danger, their aggressive behaviour was such that they were in danger of losing their community placement and going into a very restrictive forensic placement, which um, Apparently, once you're in there, it's very difficult to get out of. So it's in everyone's interest um, and the person with learning disabilities interest to um, kind of try and find a way of, you know, reducing that aggressive, um, aggressive behaviour, because then it means um, they can stay in the community. And indeed, in this um, study, that person did. They're on the verge of apparently of, of being taken into a forensic setting. Um, but because of this, uh, this intervention were able to stay and live um, in the in the community. So these things can really make a real difference to people and, and has made a difference to people. Um, so before the meditation happens, uh, some prep work is needed. You know, what is what, you know, where is anger? How do you know you're angry? Um, and also just things like where are the soles of the feet? So um, there's there's papers where um, they had to take stickers and put them on the soles of the feet so people really can sense where that is um, in, in the body so they, they know exactly where, where things are. So the best way to uh, tell you about this, I guess, is to lead a bit of a soles of the feet practice. So if you choose to, um, please join in. If you don't want to, that's fine. You can just, you can just listen to me or just tune me out. Um, but um, yeah, going to invite you into Souls of the Feet practice. So it'll be for around five minutes. Um, and just to say, I will be inviting you to evoke um, a annoying event. 
if you do not want to evoke a slightly annoying event or an, or an event that made you ever so slightly angry, um, then, uh, you know, might not be in the space today to do that. So if that's the case, then maybe you want to sit this one out. But if you want to kind of explore it, um, then uh, please do. So first of all, just finding, um, I might just stop sharing my screen actually so you can, you can see me. There we go. So first, um, either sitting or standing, if you feel like standing, that's, that's fine too. But just having a sense of your feet on the floor. So having your soles of the feet on the floor and maybe gently closing the eyes or keeping them slightly open, whatever is, whatever is helpful. And so just coming into connection with the body, coming into connection with the sense of the feet on the ground, your body either on the chair or standing, the sense of the spine, the shoulders. So I'm going to invite you now to recollect a time when you felt a bit annoyed or even a bit angry. Um, so keep it really, um, you know, something that you feel you can approach. So something like a three, a two or three out of ten in terms of annoyance or anger. So we're not we're not going too uh, too much today, but just sensing something, you know, an annoying email that you have to answer, a task you need to do. Um, road rage or whatever it was so just choosing something can you just using the first couple of things that or the first thing that might come to your mind you don't need to spend too long finding the perfect situation to practice with but just something that made you feel a little bit annoyed two or three out of ten And having a sense of this situation, so where you were, who was there. So really just reconnecting with that. So having a sense of what, what happened. And you also may have quite annoyed or slightly angry thoughts arising. So just letting these flow without pushing them away, but just letting them be there. And also if there's any sense of annoyance in the body, really connecting in with that. So you might have noticed the jaw or the forehead going tense, perhaps something going on in the belly or the chest. You may just feel generally tense or wobbly or something. So noticing these signs of 
these physical signs, these thoughts. And now quickly shift your attention down to the soles of your feet. Quickly shift your attention down to the soles of your feet. Wiggle the toes. Sensing the sock or shoe on the foot or sensing the carpet or the floor underneath you. Wiggling the toes, perhaps noticing the bottom of the foot, the top of the foot, wherever your foot is contacting. So now opening, opening your eyes. So just gently coming out of that practice. Okay, so that's um, essentially what um, the, the, the practice is, except um, when you're working with people with learning disabilities, you go for that 10 out of 10 eventually. You know, you go for that, what makes you angry? So people get familiar with what anger is. So it's not trying to stop anger or oppress it. Um, so I know that a clinician I used to work with said um, that sometimes um, some people with learning disabilities don't realise they're angry until they've hit someone or thrown something. So there's something about how do you, uh, so there's something around the um, uh, um, a kind of learning around what anger feels like within this practice. How do I know I'm angry? So I'm sensing all these things. So you're kind of practicing with anger in that place and then redirecting the attention down to a neutral part of the body, which is the soles of the feet. And this has been um, incredibly effective. So this is taught over and over and over again over a series of, over a series of weeks with the idea that hopefully um, that person, when they notice anger arising in their everyday life or a situation happens that they know is a trigger, will be able to kind of engage in this practice um, with uh, and kind of direct attention to the songs of the feet. So it's really simple, um, but has proven to be actually pretty effective. Um, I'll just share my screen again. Uh, here we go. Okay. So um, it's used repeatedly across many sessions um, with, the, with the, the research and it's using a situation that makes the person angry. So it's using a situation that pushes that person's buttons and then you're practicing coming down into a neutral place. And actually when, when it's done with a therapist, that therapist waits until that person looks visibly um, calmer. Uh, so that that thing, you know, so your attention on the soles of the feet, you, you might be there for, you know, five or so minutes. It usually doesn't take that long, apparently, um, but you might, you're there until the person looks visibly um, less, less angry. Um, so they're encouraged to use this in their everyday life. 
So when they realize they're angry, one of the options that would be available is the soles of the feet meditation. Um, and lots of studies now have found this to be effective at reducing challenging behavior. They've also used it um, to help with um, people's learning disabilities with anxiety, with overeating, with I think cigarette smoking. So stopping, smoke, stopping smoking has, has been used. So it has a huge amount of, of possible applications. So there, instead of anger for soles of the feet, you'd replace that with anxiety. You'd replace that with, you know, a craving for cigarettes or whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's good stuff, this research. So I'm just gonna talk about, um, we, we saw this in, at Bangor. We saw this going on in America and we thought that looks good. Um, so there's a uh, kind of this is about five years ago um, we did or started a project um, that looked at adapting uh, the soles of the feet practice um, to be delivered within the NHS setting. So this this has been um, delivered in kind of um, research settings. This now was being delivered in the NHS in North Wales. Um, it was a six session intervention and it was for people um, with learning disabilities who were referred um, to the services um, for um, issues with anger and aggressive behavior. Uh, we recruited 19 people who went on this and we adapted the soles of the feet practice and protocol um, in the ways that we've, I've, I've kind of talked to you about. We, we made a lot of those adapt, uh, um, adaptions. So <clears throat> this is um, some qualitative data, which just means interview data. Um, we interviewed 18 people. So we interviewed seven people with learning disabilities, um, six supporters and five therapists. So I'm not talking about the therapist, um, what the therapist says, just the people with ID and supporters. And we used thematic analysis to um, analyze the data. So this paper is in uh, the Mindfulness Journal. It's also open access, so anyone can download it for free. Um, I'll put in the link at the end so you can, you can access it. So the people with a learning disability who did this programme, um, it was really acceptable. So they liked the programme itself. I've got some quotes from people. Uh, it gave me a chilling out experience. So I've got too much chat out there. So it was generally acceptable. People generally liked this. Um, and what was interesting is three people of the seven had a goal in mind. They wanted to reduce their challenge behaviour. Um, one, I think, wanted to go on holiday. Um, but uh, and that they, they had various goals in mind and so worked particularly hard to try and understand the concept so they really engaged in the intervention so um participant one said it was hard at the beginning but i thought it was easy when i got used to it it was all right um and of the seven interviews four people reported definite benefits from going on the soles of the, so sof means soles of the feet um from the soles of the feet Three didn't, and I'll be talking about those in a minute. Um, so this is what they had to say. My anger stopped, my anger stopped, stop being angry, stop being angry, stop being so wound. So this is interesting because the soles of the feet practice is designed to help people to, when they get angry, to, to reduce their anger in the moment. Um, so it doesn't get to the point where um, challenging behaviour happens. Um, and this guy here is talking about a more generalised, I've just stopped feeling so wound up in general, which is amazing. So it had like broader applications than we even thought it would. So it just, it's kind of reduced a feeling of anger in general, which is amazing. 
um, and also techniques. So uh, one person said like, and since when my dad's trying to argue, I just try not to ring him. I just say he texts me, which is better in it. So this person used to get into constant arguments uh, with their father. And then through this, just learn a new way, found his, uh, their own way of kind of getting around it, which is amazing because this wasn't taught directly. It was really about the, the soles of the feet practice in, in situ. So um, one thing that we found, though, is that when we asked, you know, what do you like about soles of the feet? What did you learn from it? Um, people did find it difficult to articulate the concepts behind what they were learning. Um, and we did wonder whether that meant we needed more, there was more work that we need to do to really help people understand the intention of the exercises. So this person was asked what they like most or what they, what they find most interesting about the intervention. Um, so P2 is the participant, the I is the interviewer. Um, I think it's probable I like the most imagining the brain. That was good, I liked doing that. Uh, and the interview said, yeah, so what were you picturing up there then? Like when they say do good, do, but, but, but. like when they say do good things, stuff like that, plus lots of bad things. Imagine bad things as well. Stuff like that there was as well. Think back, you know, you feel like you're there. So there that, that person was talking about the soles of the feet practice itself. Um, so it's kind of interesting, isn't it? To And this kind of shows the importance of checking in people's understanding as, as, you, as, as you're going. So for those people that says I haven't changed from the intervention, I didn't find it very useful. It was really difficult to understand or interpret why that was or what their experience had been. So this is a kind of fairly typical exchange. So the interview said, did you think it helped you at all? Uh, participant six said, yeah, it did help at all. Yeah. The interview said, how did it help you? And there's a bit of a pause. Um, and the interview said, if it didn't help you, you can say it didn't help. And the person said it didn't help. So you can see there in the language, actually, it's quite, you, you know, the help at all, help at all. And um, there's a bit of repetitiveness of what the interviewer is saying. So the interviewer tried really, really hard to delve into what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, and so particularly with people who didn't find it helpful, um, we couldn't get to the bottom of why that was. Um, and so you can you can see this by this this account. This is the, the kind of closest we got to having an insight into perhaps what was um, what was working on or, or kind of not working. So moving on to the supporters. So these were either family members of the person, or they were paid. Sometimes they were paid caregivers who went along to the sessions. Um, it was really consistent with um, the people with learning disabilities account. So if people with learning disabilities said. This is brilliant, it's really helped. The supporters said the same thing. The person with learning disabilities said, not sure. Um, the supporter said, yeah, didn't help, didn't really do much. Um, so for those that it was positive, um, he made good use of the course and really gave it his all, really tried hard, focused and did everything that was asked of him outside. So this is someone who really committed to the course and really did all the practices as best they could. Um, and then uh, someone's given a, an example of, of how things have changed. He'll come in and he'll say something's happened. And I said, what did you do? And he said, oh, I just let her get on with it. He wouldn't have done that before. He would have been around banging on the window, probably. So a real shift in, 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 um, in, in how someone is able to handle a um, kind of work with a challenging situation. 
Um, he's, been, he's been able to go out and it's changed his life really, turned it right around. Um, for those that reported that the person had no changes since the course, um, what we could work out from it is it seemed to either be the person didn't understand uh, the course um, or didn't really have a motivation to change. We kind of wondered whether that was there as well. So if there wasn't a goal in mind, um, and this is true of anyone, any intervention, if there's no goal in mind uh, that you have that you want to get out of it, then the uh, intervention is, is likely to be less, less effective. So this is across across the board really. So the supporter said, what is anger to him? And is it self anger or is it someone else's anger? You know, he still remembers other people's as well and gets them mixed up. If you don't understand something, you're not interested in it. It's very true. Um, I can't say she's benefited if I'm honest. And then um, there was, uh, and I alluded to this at the beginning actually, there was evidence of some supporters not understanding the soles of the feet intervention either which then because we were hoping that they would be able to support the person at home to engage in practices um, it meant that that didn't quite quite work out so we have a lot more work to do as, as um, to support the supporters um, uh, here so that was the that was the take home from that um, so this person said some of it's really difficult to understand even for me I am a professional so Moving on to conclusions. So at the moment, uh, there's no specific training or group mindfulness curriculum for um, teaching mindfulness to people with a learning disability, but that's not to say there's not bracket, um, uh, bracket um, sorry, uh, I was distracted by the chats. Um, there's not pockets of really good practice that's happening in, in, the, um, in the UK and probably all over the world really. So, a lot of work to do. Uh, the good practice guidelines are a start, very small start, but we need a lot more field development. Um, the data for the soles of the feet is really promising. I mean, it's a 20 year old field, field now. It feels silly to say it's promising. Um, it's probably beyond that now, um, but um, does need further research. Like how, you know, could this be rolled out in, in wider NHS settings, for example, in, in the UK? Um, if we're offering soles of the feet to people with learning disabilities, do we also need to train supporters? Our data would suggest yes. I know that Nerb Singh in America has also done a lot around training supporters alongside the person with learning disabilities. Um, and also what determines on whether someone actually benefits from this or not? Um, it seems that the people who benefit really benefit. Um, and then some of the people, you know, there wasn't really a change notice. So, you know, how, how do we determine that um, would be a really interesting um, piece of research. Ah, there we go. Um, so here are some references uh, for uh, those. So these two papers, the first two papers are available for free online um, because they're open access. And I'm not sure about Singh's paper, but this is the original paper on soles of the feet that explains it all. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Okay, so I'll stop share. Okay. Um, so actually, I'm not sure we, um, Andy, I'm looking at you. I'm not sure we have time for questions actually, because I rabbited on, but I'll, I'll be happy to be guided by you. I think we might have time for one or two questions, Gemma. There's there's actually one that came in as a direct message that was actually intended to be a question 
from from Bob um, asking if has the soles of the feet practice been used with people uh, living with autism, uh, where anger may sometimes be an issue. Do you know if there's been any uh, application in that field? Oh, offhand, I'm not sure. Um, one of the things we did with the soles of the feet research is we actually excluded people with autism from that. We thought it would be um, a little bit too, too yeah, we, we weren't sure how people with autism would, would, would work with that. So we actually excluded them from the criteria. But as a team, we thought if we were to do it again, we wouldn't have done that. We would have included people with autism in there because, we, you know, we, we think, you know, there's, there's nothing that says they wouldn't benefit, but we weren't sure about that at the time. Um, I don't know about the research on, on autism, I'm afraid. Yeah. We have five minutes left. I, I wondered maybe rather than trying to um, make sense of various different uh, questions coming in the chat, whether you might lead just for a couple of minutes the soles of the feet practice again, just for us to be able to experience it once again before we finish and then maybe with two minutes left there'll be time for a couple of announcements I can make. Sure absolutely yeah yeah absolutely okay so um, either sitting down or standing up um, and just coming into connection with the felt sense of your feet on the ground So now you know what's coming in this practice, it might just be interesting either to pick um, a different scenario or maybe stick with the same one. So something that's just maybe irritated you today or this week. And again, going for two or three out of 10 in terms of how strong your feelings were about that. So just imagining or sensing into what that situation was, what happened, maybe visualizing the room you're in or the screen you were looking at if it was an annoying email. And also sensing the thoughts that arise with this and also any emotions that might arise with this. So sensing that in the body, might notice the heart beating a little bit more, busyness or energy in the body, maybe tension in the body. You need to stop any feelings of anger or annoyance, but just let them flow, let them be there. Being aware of the body, the mind. And now quickly moving your attention all the way down to the soles of your feet. So quickly moving your attention all the way down to the soles of the feet, perhaps wiggling the toes. Sensing the bottom of the foot, the sole of the foot, the top of the foot, 
the floor beneath you. Socks or shoes, feelings of whatever's against the skin of the foot. Just being with this sensation in the feet. Noticing, connecting with the ground. Okay, so the end of this practice, just gently opening the eyes and reconnecting with people on the screen. Okay, over to you, Andy. Thank you. Thanks so much, uh, Gemma. Thank you. And um, just, I, I made some notes there and one that kind of sticks out in some ways is there's a simplicity to the practice yet. There's a profundity, profundity to, 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 to making this um, um, intervention, this mindfulness-based intervention for people. Um, and I uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come and uh, share your uh, work with uh, the OMC community, the wider OMC community this evening. Thanks so much, Gemma. Thank you.